circle, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin occupied Ohlone Territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. This week on Full Circle, we'll hear an interview with Plan C, on medical abortion pill options. And we take a look at a group of women in Mexico who helped distribute the pills in Texas and to other restrictive states. We'll hit the streets to hear if Roe has affected the way some young women will vote. Also, Hillary Clinton endorses Proposition 1 to keep abortion safe in California into the future. And Carol Marasovic comments on how we can inspire the youth to vote. We also ask folks if men should take a more active role in birth control. And we'll close out the show with an important lesson from an ancient Greek play on a stand women took to prevent men from going to war. All that tonight on Full Circle. We are your host. I'm Free Will and Franklin coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok Territory. And I'm Pamela P. from Miwok Territory, knowing the settlers as Marin County. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. Welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. I'm your host tonight, Pamela P., along with Free Whelan Franklin. Row Your Vote is a slogan coined by MoveOn.org. MoveOn.org is a powerful progressive organization which drives social change. They are partially responsible for President Obama's success. A thank you to MoveOn.org. Since Roe v. Wade was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court this past June, access to reproductive health care has exploded into the political arena. A woman's right to obtain an abortion has always been a health care issue. Now it is a legal issue and a political issue. It has become a hot potato discussion topic and drives how many people will vote in the upcoming midterm elections and future elections. In California, if a person wants to terminate a pregnancy, it would be easy to obtain an abortion, make a doctor's appointment, discuss options, and take the next steps. But a person living in Texas or Mississippi or another restrictive state this would not be an easy step, and it would be illegal to do so with serious ramifications. One option for women seeking an abortion is to use the medical abortion step with two pills, taken with instructions, which will terminate a pregnancy. 
Coming up, my co-host Pamela P. speaks with Imani Wilson-Shabazz from Plan C. Imani is partnership manager for Plan C. Plan C coordinates with other organizations to provide guidance on medical abortion options and how the pills can be accessed. I'm speaking this morning with Imani Wilson-Shabazz of the partnership manager of Plan C. And we're hopeful that I'll learn more about what Plan C is and what the Plan C pill is. So let's start, Imani. Can you tell me what is Plan C and what is the Plan C pill? Yeah, so Plan C itself is a nonprofit information campaign that is dedicated to increasing awareness of and access to abortion pills by mail. And so as a website, we are home to the Plan C Guide to Pills, which is the only state-by-state directory of mailed abortion pill options, either with clinician-supported telehealth or entirely self-managed options. And the Plan C pill itself is kind of our nickname for abortion pills or medication abortions, uh, which is a combination of two medications, mifepristone and misoprostol, that can be used to end a pregnancy. So what increases have you seen in requests for the medical abortion with the pills since Roe was overturned? Well, we've been seeing increases in medication abortion use for a while now. I think during the pandemic, kind of 2020 was the first year that we saw a majority of abortions in the U.S. being medication abortions. Before that, it was um, it was a smaller minority of abortions done. And then it's really been increasing since then. Ever since, even before Roe, when SB8 went into effect in Texas, we were seeing increases of people going to our site or going to some of the providers we linked out to, like Aid Access. And then with Roe being overturned, uh, we saw even more traffic to our website and to some of our partners that we list on the website as well. And so there definitely has been an increase of interest in learning about medication abortion and specifically mailed abortion pills because access is getting so much more difficult every passing day, it seems, and people are really looking to find uh, what options are out there. What is the shelf life of the abortion pills if someone orders them ahead of time? Uh, The shelf life, conservatively, the estimate is around 18 to 24 months. The two medications actually have different shelf lives with uh, mifepristones being longer than misoprostols. But as a conservative estimate, we tend to say 18 to 24 months, though they're currently looking into whether or not this is actually extended because there are some estimates saying that the shelf life can be as long as three to five years, uh, depending on how they're stored and a couple of other factors. And so uh, as a conservative estimate 18 to 24 months, but that's likely actually going to be longer. Do you anticipate that the use of the pills could solve the challenges of obtaining a surgical abortion, which is getting worse every day, that this could impact on a large scale, like a significant increase in the use of the abortion, medication abortion with the pills? 
I think that as states continue to enact more and more restrictive abortion bans, the idea of mailed abortion pills does become more useful in a lot of situations uh, because it is one of the routes of access that's going to be most accessible in certain areas. I wouldn't say that medication abortion is going to solve the issue because what we really want is for these restrictions not to be in place and for people to be able to access any method of abortion that they would like to access because medication abortion isn't going to be the right decision for everyone, whether it be because of how far along they are into pregnancy or if they just don't prefer the medication abortion method. But as a temporary solution to a very dire access problem that is increasing daily, I think that medication abortion being at the forefront of that conversation is really great and really useful because people need to know that this option exists because I think that we're seeing more and more people try to resort to unsafe methods to induce abortions because they don't know that abortion pills exist. And so that's exactly, that's extremely what we don't want. We want to make sure that people are being as safe as possible. And so knowing that these pills exist can definitely save a lot of lives. And so I definitely think that it is going to be at the forefront of the abortion conversation uh, for quite some time. Looking ahead that there are there's a possibility that the manufacturers will be under pressure to remove the pills availability. I think in the U.S. that might become an issue, although there are already so many restrictions on the medications now that I don't imagine that they're going to be able to throw much more at it to increase, like to decrease access even more than it already is. But even still, even if they did do that, there would still be um, a slew of international pharmacists and doctors that are going to be really dedicated to making sure that people in the U.S. are able to access these medications. What have been the challenges for women for securing authentic versions of the pills? Or is that the role of Plan C? Yeah, definitely. I think that is a question that we're seeing a lot. Um, now as well. And I think that the Plan C guide is a really great resource for that because we do test order from um, most of the providers on the guide to ensure things like ship time and pricing, the ages that they serve, how far into pregnancy they prescribe and so. And then we did have uh, all of the providers tested at one point in time to make sure that the medications were what they said that they were. And then we don't have any reason to believe that that has changed over time. And so the guide is a really great place to go to find reliable providers for abortion pills. We spoke earlier. I said that I logged into Plan C's website and I said I was from California and it was easy to mm -hmm. access everything. And then I said I was in Texas and it got a lot more restrictive very quickly. The one thing that's very critical to me was by the time a woman knows that she's pregnant, there's a window of time to be able to get the pills. And I see that with restrictive states, it could be four more weeks to get the pills. And that would have to include having them sent somewhere else and forwarded. How have women in non-safe states like Texas, Georgia, Mississippi, how have they been able to order and receive the pills? 
Yeah. So there's actually a couple of different methods. And so what you're talking about, um, there is a group called Aid Access where the ship time does take uh, 14 to 21 days. So about three to four weeks, which can be a long time. And I think that is part of the reason they started to do advanced provision as well, so that people could have these pills on hand in case they needed them immediately. Um, and so that is one way in which people are kind of getting ahead of that ship time issue. And then there are also, Aid Access is one of the many providers on the guide. There are a couple of other online pharmacies that have different ship times. So there are some that can ship faster than others. And so uh, we really try to make sure that we have information that will help anyone at any stage of looking for this information. And so I, I would definitely recommend someone looking through the different options, looking through all the different online pharmacies, seeing what their different ship times are to see what the best option might be for them. Definitely looking into things like advanced provision and mail forwarding actually can be used with domestic providers. So if someone is in a restricted state and they're using the mail forwarding system, then essentially they are renting an address in a non-restricted state and that mail can be forwarded. And ship times domestically are take a lot less time than they do coming from international providers. And so if mail forwarding is used with a domestic provider, it definitely can reduce the ship time down to a week, maybe less. In a state where abortion is totally banned, that would include the medication abortion as well. And so would women in those not in those restrictive states, would they be liable for prosecution for ordering the pills? Yeah, so it's really, really hard to say whether or not someone is going to be prosecuted for something or criminalized for something. There aren't actually that many states that have specific laws against self-managed abortion in particular, uh, meaning someone uh, taking medication abortion in their own home or something and then doing an abortion that way. Um, a lot of states actually don't have specific laws about that. And so uh, many of the cases that were brought up were dismissed because there wasn't actually a law to, to kind of stick on them. However, this is not to say that the risk of criminalization is not a real threat and a real fear. And I, I think we know that criminalization doesn't necessarily match up with legality. So this could be an issue even for people in places that aren't restricted. Um, and so we really take extra steps with the guide to make sure that people have all the resources that they can need to make the best decision for themselves. And so that's why we link out to resources like the If, When, How Repro Legal Helpline, because that is a free resource where someone can talk to a lawyer and know exactly what the laws are in their state, how they've been used, how best to protect themselves. And so um, that's a really great resource to kind of figure out what the next step should be, what the risk looks like, and how to protect themselves. And so we really want people to have all the information to see the full picture, to make the most informed choice. And so I would I would say that if someone is in a restricted state or if there is a total ban in a state, checking out that resource to talk to someone, to kind of walk through what the options look like legally and what the risks may be, it would be the best, the best solution. To have been able to afford the medication abortion 
is another mm -hmm. issue, even though some of the pills available would be a hundred, a hundred and fifty dollars for someone who doesn't have any money, that could be a problem. And there wouldn't, I don't foresee there would be an opportunity to get financial support for that with the time turnaround restraints. How has that been an issue for a lot of women? Yeah, so financial barriers are a very real and a very serious issue in the abortion space. And there are some groups. So we talked about eight efforts a little bit earlier, and they actually offer a sliding scale uh, model for their abortion pills. And so they can actually go all the way down to zero if that is what somebody needs, because they really don't want finances to be a barrier to someone getting the care that they need. And so there are different groups coming up with different sliding scale models or different financial assistance programs. And we're also starting to see different groups uh, that don't necessarily provide abortions themselves, but they're more uh, practical support groups uh, come up with different ways to fund telemedicine abortions or uh, abortion pills by mail. And so we're starting to see a lot more groups figure out pathways to support people financially who might be considering self-managed abortion. What is the feedback on women who've tried the abortion pill and ended up having to go to the hospital? There's not necessarily any statistics out about that as well. What I can say is that the risks of a major complication that would require hospitalization, so something like hemorrhaging, the risk of that happening is less than 1%. So it's very rare mm -hmm. that someone would end up in a hospital after a incomplete medication abortion. Um, it's not something that we're seeing a huge uptick in. But um, if someone does end up in a situation where they do need to go into an ER or another type of emergency care situation, what we do know is that there isn't currently a medical test that can prove whether or not someone took the medication abortion pills. And so uh, someone does not necessarily have to disclose that they took these pills if they are in an emergency care situation. The way that their care uh, would be completed in those situations would be very similar to if someone came in saying they, they thought they were having a natural miscarriage, they're treated the same way. And so someone, if they do find themselves in that situation, they don't necessarily have to say that they took these medications if they're not going in uh, for something like an allergic reaction to the pills. That's a little bit different and you would have to disclose that. But if it's just something like um, hemorrhaging or, or heavy bleeding, then uh, that's treated very similarly to natural miscarriages. And so if someone does feel like they might be in a situation where they have to go into the ER, we like to let them know that as well. Is there anything you'd like to add to guide women and reproductive health care seekers in the, their best approach besides going to your website, planc.org? And what, what would you like to say in closing? I would just like to say that although things do look really bleak right now, uh, there are so many people in the world who really want to protect people's right to get the health care that they want. And we're all going to continue to fight for increasing access to care and fighting and challenging these restrictions. And so 
there are definitely people who are very dedicated to making sure that people will be able to have the full range of reproductive choices. And in the meantime, I just want people to remember to go out and vote because although I know you hear it a million and one times that it, it might even be falling on deaf ears at this point, but voting really can make a difference. We really do want to get people in office who are going to uplift and support reproductive choice. And so um, that's just something everyone can do in the meantime while we still fight to get some of these restrictive bans struck down and continue to find more ways to increase access. I think that's a very good thing to focus on, especially coming up with these elections. Thank you very much for your time, and I'll be following up with you later. Thank you very much, Imani. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and kpfa.org. We are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I'm Freewill and Franklin, along with Pamela P., and we just heard an in-depth interview with Imani Wilson-Shabazz from Plan C. If you need or know someone who needs to contact Plan C, you can find them online at planc.org. That's plan, P-L-A-N, and the letter C, dot O-R-G. And we will post a link on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Dot .org just after the show tonight. All right, keep that dial on KPFA 94.1 FM and worldwide kpfa.org. We're going to take a short music break. Leonard Cohen's song Democracy and then we'll be right back to full circle.
back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and worldwide all the time on kpfa.org. I'm one of your hosts tonight, Pamela P. Thanks for tuning in. That song you just heard was Democracy, sung by songwriter Leonard Cohen. The upcoming midterm elections are critical to protect reproductive rights and voting rights. Please be sure to vote in this election. After Roe was overturned, women had trouble getting a medical abortion with pills in restrictive states. Two women in Mexico devised a plan to take the pills to women in Texas who needed them. This brief narrative, read by my co-host Pamela P., tells the story of Liz and Cruz who made this happen. Liz, who is a retired Southern woman in her 70s, now lives in San Miguel de Allende in central Mexico. She was making coffee in the kitchen where photographs of her great-grandchildren covered the fridge, and she heard on the radio that the constitutional right to abortion in the United States had ended. She maneuvered her walker to a nearby chair and sat down. She felt as she had as a child in a house by the sea where she'd once lived when a hurricane had been dreading some landfall. It was awful, yes, but knowing what was coming had given her a chance to gather her courage and make a plan. Five years earlier, Liz had met Veronica Cruz, who runs a nonprofit called Los Libres, the Free Ones, out of Guantanamo, some 50 miles west of San Miguel. At the time, Cruz was defying Mexican law by helping women, mostly poor women, aboard at home. In part because of activists like Cruz, she successfully reduced the stigma of abortion. The Supreme Court of Mexico decriminalized it in September 2021. That same month, Texas moved in the opposite direction. A state law known as SB8 banned nearly all abortions past the sixth week. Since then, Cruz has widened her remit, supplying free abortion pills to undocumented women in Texas. Medication abortion in the United States is typically a two-day process that involves taking meriprostone, which blocks progesterone, and misprostol, which causes uterine contractions. The Food and Drug Administration approves the use of this two-pill regime under a doctor's supervision up until the 10th week of pregnancy. A prescription, which can be obtained in states where abortion is legal, is required. In Mexico, misoprostol is sold over the counter. Mifpristone still requires a prescription, but they have found suppliers. And when she relied solely on misoprostol, 
it can cause an abortion on its own. Immediately after Dobbs, Cruz said her existing crew of volunteers had slipped enough medication across the border to help 2,000 American women have abortions. If the old hippies agreed to aid distributors in abortion ban states, Cruz told them, Las Libres could help many more women. Each cell in the supply chain would know little about the other cells, safer for everyone that way. This is from an article by Stefania Taladrid, which was published in The New Yorker, October 10th, 2022. This is Full Circle, 94.1 FM KPFA, and we just heard an update on how abortion pills are being distributed to persons in Texas and other restrictive states. Thousands of women in states like Texas are able to safely use the medical abortion option with pills. Next, Nomi Windmaker, First Voice Apprentice, hit the streets to ask women the question, how has Roe affected your vote? Hi, this is Nomi Windmaker from First Voice Apprentice Program. I'm here in Southern California in the small town of Claremont, about to interview several young women to ask them how their voting patterns have been influenced as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. There are many statistics and claims out there that say that young people, especially women, have increased their voter registration and are more inclined to vote this year because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So I'm out here to get a pulse on that. The Supreme Court recently overruled Roe v. Wade, ending the constitutional right to an abortion. Has that impacted your ideas around voting or your voting behavior in any way? It hasn't changed. I feel like we need to be more advocates for ourselves at this point. I just recently got my citizenship, so I am uh, like able to do so now. But yeah, things like Roe v. Wade and just the fact that it's like 2022 and we're going backwards, that's going to help me <laughs> try to be more informed and get my vote out there. Honestly, I've never been much of an active voter. I come from a family that's very much not politically involved. I think since coming to college, we've had a lot more conversations about it, especially with my peers. Definitely when the news came out with that, I felt I needed to do something right away as far as voting. But as time has gone by, I guess as informed enough to think about how I need to do my part, I guess. Like that's on my radar and I definitely want to vote. I mean, I was furious about that and continue to be. I think I would say it definitely motivated me a little bit. Um, I'm very pro-choice, so I mean, anything that I can do to help out like pro-choice, I'll do it. I think everyone should vote if they could. You know, I feel like everyone's voice matters, even though they think that it doesn't. More like, I am not an American citizen, so I cannot vote. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. 
The Supreme Court recently overruled Roe v. Wade, ending the constitutional right to an abortion. Has that impacted your ideas around voting or your voting behavior in any way? No. Why not? It's not going to change any way I vote. No. Is it inspiring you to vote more? Um, definitely, yes. Definitely, yes. Has it impacted voting? I would say yes, because I think that this is an important decision for women, and not just women, but people who are in situations where they would need it. So I think it is, it's now even more important to vote. That's all I really have to say about it. Well, there you have it. This is Nomi Windmaker from First Voice Apprentice Program, reporting for Full Circle. You're listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and online worldwide at kpfa.org. You just heard Sweet Honey in the Rock with Wade in the Water. And before that, we heard our very own Nomi Windmaker on the streets asking women about the recent road decision and if it has affected the way they will vote. Now we want to bring you an important endorsement for Prop 1, which protects a woman's right to abortion in California. Former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton has just endorsed Proposition 1. To quote, we have been faced with a dark reality as millions of women were abruptly left without access to essential health care overnight. I'm proud to stand with the Yes on Prop 1 campaign and look forward to the momentum that this will carry for the rest of the country. Secretary Clinton's endorsement underscores the critical opportunity Californians have to lead the way in protecting fundamental freedoms like abortion. Our impact is real, from the leaders in the state 
who sprung into action after Roe versus Wade was overturned, to the activists on the ground educating voters, to all the generous people who've been giving to support this work. We're back with Pamela P. and here on 94.1 FM Pacifica Radio to reflect on the importance of Prop 1 and why voters need to vote on it. Be sure to vote on this one. It ensures reproductive rights are protected in California and includes persons coming from other states to California. It's simple. Proposition 1 will enshrine the fundamental right to an abortion and a right to contraceptions in the California state constitution. For nearly 50 years, Americans have relied on the legal principle set by Roe v. Wade that allowed individuals to make their own reproductive health decisions privately. Access to abortion is no longer federally protected and is under attack across the country. Thank you, Pamela P. Now we are moving on on how to encourage young people to vote. According to an online mailer from MoveOn.org, young people have turned out in record numbers to register to vote in this election. In 2016, only 39% of young people voted, and look what we got, the orange man. When Biden was elected in 2020, 50% of young people voted. It's clear that young people can make the difference. You young people have inherited a political scene with many issues to be fixed. As we're talking about tonight, reproductive rights, voting rights, gun control, personal protection for minorities, and other underrepresented communities, and the climate. This is a big challenge, and we cannot expect young people to solve it on their own. They did not create it, they inherited it. We will solve it together. Check out this clip from political activist Carol Marasovic on getting young people to vote. While we have to keep informing them, um, I noticed that lack of concern when I was even passing out postcards for Roe. I did some distribution downtown. This is Carol Marasovic, a longtime member of several city commissions, and she is running for a seat on Berkeley's Rent Stabilization Board in the 2022 election. She has been active in the Berkeley community as a member of the city's Homeless Commission, Mental Health Commission, and the Homeless Services Panel of Experts. She's sharing her thoughts with us about encouraging young people to vote. We more concerned about this because we lived it, because of the direct experience that we've had. Continue to expose them to it, hope that they engage in dialogue, uh, expose them to other people's uh, dialogue so that they voluntarily also become interested, and then go to the young people who are interested. Welcome back. We just heard from Carol Marasovic on thoughts of how we can encourage young people to vote. Even though young people have turned out in record numbers to register to vote, we still need them to now show up and vote. Franklin, let me tell you this story about my grandson, Ryan. Yesterday, he voted for the first time in his life. I said I was proud of him. I told him, we know that the young people have inherited too many issues to solve, 
and we need the young voters to solve it. He replied, that's the plan. How about you, Franklin? Do you know any young people voting? <laughs> um, I know for sure a lot of young people that want to vote although I don't know if they're old enough to vote yet, uh, but I have been working with a lot of the young people in the Sunflower Alliance and No Drilling Brentwood, two organizations that work heavily to fight for the environment. So if the ones I worked with are old enough to vote, I know they will be voting. And if they're not old enough to vote yet, I know they're working on political issues and wishing they were old enough. <laughs> They'll be speaking at the city council and writing letters to our city council folks. So I know they're out there doing stuff. Well, uh, let's move on. Next, we'll hear a man on the streets interview with myself, Free Will and Franklin, asking the question, should men take a more serious responsibility for birth control? Okay, so with the recent changes in Roe v. Wade, um, do you think a man should be more responsible for birth control? Men should use protection and not cause unwanted pregnancies. And women should be able to uh, have freedom over their own body. Period. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. All right. That's an extremely broad question. But what I do believe is that men have the same rights as women. Would that mean that women have the same rights as men? Yes. And how about you, sir? Uh, it is a broad question. And what do you think? Should men be more responsible for birth control, whether that be like some sort of pill, temporary vasectomy, or any ideas you have? Yeah, I believe we should be more responsible for birth control and the prevention of unwanted uh, pregnancies, yes. Um, it always takes a male, whether it's, you know, to actually get a female pregnant. So females can't get pregnant by themselves. So at the minimum, you are at least uh, responsible for that pregnancy, uh, some shape or form, you know. So you should be as responsible for prevention of it. Yes and no. It's kind of hard to say that because, you know, women should take protection in themselves too. You know, they should take birth control. You know, there's women condoms out there, you know. And it's kind of on both the parties. You can't just say one has to be protected and the other one doesn't have to worry about nothing, you know. A woman can still protect herself from getting pregnant, you know. So it's... Let's say this. So you think they should take equal responsibility? Yeah, equal. Like, just as a parent, you know. They want you to be equal as mom and dad, so why shouldn't they be equal in getting pregnant, you know. It's like, you should still have to worry about protecting yourself, not just me, right? Right now, do you think men are taking 50% of the responsibility at this time? <laughs> That's a yes and a no. Uh, that that question's the hard one right there. Sure, absolutely. I think they should, yeah. Because it takes two to have a child, you know? And if you don't be responsible enough that you, you're going to have a child and you're not being responsible enough, don't have one. Because you're going to bring another child into this world that might not be wanted. And then that's where a lot of turmoil comes on. And you see this every day in children that are beaten and, and abused because the parent didn't want them, but they had them anyway. So that's that's my opinion on this issue. 
Absolutely. I think both part partners have an equal amount of responsibility in making sure that an unwanted pregnancy doesn't result. And it flabbergasts me why even unwanted pregnancies happen in this day and time when we have all the things that we have to prevent it, all the knowledge that we have to prevent it. And it just infuriates me that these babies suffer because of it. Back in the early 60s, uh, single women could not get oral contraception for themselves. Only married women could get a prescription for it. Crazy. Thank you. This is Free Will and Franklin on the streets of Antioch for Full Circle. The instrumental music in this piece was Lo-Fi Beats Pop Culture. You can find that on YouTube, and we'll post a link on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight. Peace. present now 
will later be passed. The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last. For the times they are changing. Welcome back to KPFA 94.1 FM. We just heard a man on the streets with a question by Frank Sterling. Should men take a more active role in birth control? When men don't do this, women have to take matters into their own hands. And we just heard the times they are a-changin' by Bob Dylan. Women taking the helm to change politics is not a new step. In ancient Greece, the women took radical steps to make sure the men stopped going to war. Listen to this short story of Lysistrata, a Greek play by Aristophanes, many years ago. To put an end to the Peloponnesian War, Lysistrata persuades women from all over Greece to go on a sex strike until the men agree to make peace. Lysistrata hatches a plan with the older women to seize control of the Acropolis where the city treasury is kept. The men attempt to smoke the women out of the Acropolis, but the women extinguish the fires and triumphantly drench the men. When a magistrate, Aproboulos, arrives to retrieve funds for the war, Lysistrata berates him about the losses that the women have been forced to bear. Women have to take on more than twice your burden, Firstly, it's us giving birth to children, then we send them off as soldiers. The women dress the magistrate up in their clothes and send him away, humiliated. As the strike continues, the sex-starved men of Greece become increasingly desperate. A Spartan herald approaches the Acropolis and finds the magistrate outside. He explains the desperate situation of his countrymen, and they both agree that a treaty is required. Delegations from Athens and Sparta meet to discuss the treaty. Lysistrata appears with her naked handmaid, Peace. The men's eyes are fixated on Peace as Lysistrata chastises them for treating each other so badly and reminds them that they previously helped one another. The Spartan and Athenian leaders guiltily agree and decide on land rights to end the war. Lysistrata gives the women back to their men and joins the celebration of peace. Welcome back. You're listening to KPFA 94.1 FM Pacifica Radio, and we just heard an ancient play Liz Estrada about how women tried to keep men from fighting in wars. And Joan Baez must have seen this play because in the 60s, I was at her concert to fight for stopping the Vietnam War and this happened. A young man got up, waved his draft card and said, what can I do, Joan? And she said, burn your draft card. A young girl jumped up and said, what can I do, Joan? And Joan didn't miss a beat and said, don't sleep with anyone with a draft card. This idea of women taking power is not new. For centuries, women have been fighting to protect all people, especially the children, from the constant wars and wasting of lives and resources. 
All right. Thank you, Pamela P., for that great ancient story and that little tidbit of information. But right now, we're going to take a moment to get some community announcements. Stay tuned. On Monday, November 7th, 3 p.m., tune in to a KPFA feature presentation. After Roe, in Search of Reproductive Justice. We feature the realities of seeking an abortion through the lens of first-person stories and through a dive into the world of what many call fake clinics. Plus, we talk with a longtime abortion provider who discusses the assassination of her colleague. This feature presentation, After Roe, In Search of Reproductive Justice, airs Monday, November 7th, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on 94.1, KPFA Berkeley, and online at kpfa.org. The full show and individual stories will also be available on KPFA Presents. All right, thank you, First Voice graduate Sarah Blanco. Be sure to tune into that special. And real quick, I just want to remind everybody about the memorial walk for my cousin, uh, Timothy Charles Lee. And if you listened to last week's show, you might remember um, my cousin Timothy Charles Lee was killed at the Concord Bart. He was murdered um, and he was lynched at Concord Bart. And we are still seeking justice 36 years later. So we will be having a memorial walk for Timothy Charles Lee kicking off at the Rainbow Community Center. That's 2380 Salvio Street in Concord. And then we will be marching to the Concord BART station where my cousin Timmy was killed. And we will hold a ceremony, a candlelight vigil for him there. And we will be calling on the Contra Costa District Attorney's Office and the California Attorney General to reopen the case of my cousin Timmy, uh, which they ruled a suicide, and we want it looked at again. So again, that will be Wednesday, November 2nd at the Rainbow Community Center at Concord, 4 p.m., and you can find more information on the First Voice Media Facebook page. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. The Full Circle Crew is executive producer Miss M, Joy Moore is our production consultant, and Freewheeling Franklin is the technical director for this show, Full Circle and me, Apprentice Pamela P. I have been your host tonight with Free Will and Franklin and am joined by Apprentice Nomi Windmaker. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. Up next is La Onda Bahida. Good night, everyone. Yes, thank you, everyone, and good night. We'll leave you with these last couple minutes with Aisha Fukushima and her song, Breathe.
try to be just be inhale exhale breathe don't try to be just be inhale exhale breathe i believe in miracles i believe in a greater world i believe in good things and it starts with me society some days it's hard to get a hug inspiration's what it takes and i got enough building faith in community looking past from my heart to see for real i be we be for real i be we be don't try to be just Say we cannot succeed. I told that we shall not believe. 